Welcome to Walk in Truth. These are the Bible teachings of Pastor Michael Lance, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people. Learn more about the program when you visit walkintruth.com. As you prepare for family and friends coming around for the holiday, we plan to prepare your heart for the true meaning of Christmas. Join us the next half hour to hear Pastor Michael's Advent message in the book of Micah, chapter 5, called Hope Foreshadowed. So Advent is a time of expectation and hope. Advent means uh, come crazy and busy. And the candles and the devotions and the other things are just things, tools to help us slow down and focus on the true meaning of the season. I pray that, this is a prayer that I've been praying, that my hope and faith would be refreshed and even renewed this Christmas season. That's my hope and prayer for you. Um, this particular message is called Hope Foreshadowed. Let me share with you that hope in the Bible is not I hope so. Like in my case, I hope the Steelers win today. Um, But in the Bible, hope is confident expectation. Hope is the anchor of our souls, according to Hebrews chapter 6. And our hope is in Jesus Christ. Our hope is not in, you know, something that may be circumstantial. Our hope is in God. And in fact, hope could be defined biblically as faith looking forward. So you don't have to wonder about the promises of God. The promises of God are not if, they are just a matter of when and perhaps how in things that we don't have details about. But we do know that our hope is sure and it's the anchor of our souls no matter what you're going through at this current moment. We're going to look at some messianic prophecies. These are prophecies specifically about the Messiah, Jesus Christ. In the book of Micah and Isaiah is where we're going to focus a lot of our Sunday morning time. And Micah and Isaiah both wrote somewhere around the mid-700s B.C. to the early 700s B.C. That's kind of just the big sweeping general consensus. And they were speaking to the nation of Israel and warning them of coming judgment. There were two major areas of judgment that unfolded around this time and a little bit later. One was the fall of the northern kingdom in 722 B.C. For those of you who are interested in dates, I'm just going to give you two dates. These are major dates to remember. The ten tribes that went up into the north, into the Galilee area... Uh, including the tribe of Dan, all the way by the northern border, were influenced by a lot of paganism and a lot of idolatry. And so the Assyrians that were a rising power when Micah wrote, eventually sacked and destroyed the northern kingdom. And it fell in 722 BC as God had prophesied. Another prophecy was being articulated by Micah and Isaiah and others, and it was the fall of the southern kingdom. Remember, Israel was split into two kingdoms during much of its history. The north and the south had two different uh, kings and leadership. The south tended to be better. But when the north fell, people migrated and tried to escape deportation and death. And they migrated into the south, into the area of Jerusalem. And they brought with it their religious syncretism. That's a word that simply means they were trying to worship idols alongside the God of the Bible. And idolatry and syncretism are two very contemporary issues of our day. It's happening in America. It's happening in other places where people try to worship the God of the Bible alongside other so-called gods or religions, or they even elevate false gods above the God of the Bible. 
and they kind of amalgamate this, or idolatry. Idolatry is not necessarily bowing down to a golden calf. Idolatry, according to Ezekiel, is something that happens in the heart, and it becomes a stumbling block for us. I'll give you an example. In America right now, we are being squeezed more and more with consumerism. And for example, uh, the last several Thanksgivings, now Black Friday shopping doesn't start on Friday morning at 3 a.m. It starts when you're having the last bite of pumpkin pie, right? So think of the irony of the scene. There's television commercials and stores and everything. And, and you know how crazy people get, you know, I got to get that flat screen TV, save 50 bucks, and people get trampled and everything. And here's the irony. When America is supposed to be giving thanks to God for all the blessings that we have, we're taking the last bite of pie and running off to the store to get our next uh, gadget or our next thing. And when I say this, I'm speaking to myself because we all get caught up in it. But Thanksgiving is supposed to be out celebrating our blessings and speaking about contentment and all of this. And, we're, and we're, it's just being squeezed more and more. It's a wonder if even a Christian family quotes a scripture at Thanksgiving and takes a little bit of time to pray. What do you think the God of the Bible thinks of our consumerism? At the time that Micah wrote, there was religious hypocrisy. The, the leaders of the nation were a bunch of hypocrites. There was political intrigue. People were being paid off. You know, there was all kinds of ugly stuff. There was violence. These were, this is what was happening in, back in the day, but it is very contemporary, amen? We had another terrorist attack in England. We've had countless things that I've come up to this pulpit, and we've prayed after shootings and after this and after that. And, you know, it, it gets a little bit disheartening. And we've had a little bit of a, of a quiet there, but our, our nation is also in a political divide. We know all the things that are going on in terms of the bastions of political life and the divisions that go there and the name-calling that goes there. And sometimes I step back from it and I wonder, is this all about personal agendas or does anybody really care about getting back to God and getting this nation back where it needs to be? And I think about the church. And I ask the question of the modern church. What is it that we're teaching? What is it that we're showing? What is it that we're modeling? And if Micah could come to this pulpit and speak today, what would Micah say to a contemporary Western Christian audience? I think these are things that we have to consider. Because history tends to repeat itself. And in America, we've been really blessed. My wife showed me a video the other day. It was a video of a family and they were just in awe of everything they had. So they woke up and they were in awe of their house. They're like, can you believe it? We have a house. And then they went to the breakfast table. Can you believe it? We have breakfast. And everything was put in a, like a gift box. So their breakfast, like their pancakes and eggs, were in a gift box. And the dad was like, can you believe it? We have food to eat this morning. And they're like, oh, yeah, it's awesome, dad. And, and then they, the dad grabbed his briefcase. Can you believe it? I have a job and I have a briefcase. And he went out to the car and his car was all in wrapping paper. And he went out to his car and he said, can you believe it? I have a car. I have a car to drive to work. And of course you get the message, right? It's we so easily pass by all these blessings we have and the culture's convinced us, and I'm preaching to myself, that we gotta have the next thing or the bigger thing or this or that to be happy. That's not where your happiness is gonna come from, folks. It's not where your joy is gonna come from. And for some of us, we have to just seriously say, I'm not going to let another Christmas 
pass me by, buying into all this stuff. I'm just not going to do it. And part of what we tried to do with the devotions is give you kind of a built-in plan, at least for Wednesdays and Sundays, where you can focus on what's important. Micah's book, and I'm going to have to move quickly and just hit some sweeping uh, things for you to look at. Micah's name means, who is like the Lord? He prophesied during the reigns of Jotham from 750 to 731 B.C., Ahaz from 731 to 715 B.C., and Hezekiah from 715 to 686 B.C. His book is filled with a lot of warning about social injustice and religious corruption. But his book ends on on an encouraging note. There's my glasses. Why don't you uh, turn to Micah 7 for a second. Micah 7. Let me show you the encouraging note to open up with some good news. Here's how the book ends. And the book is filled with a lot of warning and of coming judgment. But Micah's, there's a play on Micah's name here. And it says in Micah 7, 18, Who is a God like you, who pardons iniquity and passes over the rebellious act of the remnant of his possession? He, God, does not retain his anger forever because God delights in what? In unchanging love. He is a God who delights in hesed or loyal covenant love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. Yes, you will cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. Corey Tim Boom said, and God will post a no fishing sign there. Praise God. You will give truth to Jacob and unchanging love to Abraham. Remember, those are the founders of the nation, if you will. Not alive at this time, but God made a covenant with them, which you swore to our forefathers from the days of old. Our God, despite the fact that he does discipline and judge, delights in unchanging love. If you want a good definition of unchanging love, unchanging love is Uh, equivalent to what we celebrate in 1 Corinthians 13 with agape love. It's the love that doesn't say, I'll love you if you do this for me. I'll love you if you do these 10 things. Scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. It's unconditional love. It's the love of God. But it's also the love that's possible to come from us if we are yielded, yielded to the spirit of the living God. And Micah wants to end the book on a positive note by saying, look, Even though God is going to deal harshly with the nation, he does love you, and he delights in unchanging love. He would warn of uh, what God was going to do, mostly because the nation fell into idolatry, which is one way to say spiritual adultery. It has come to Judah, says Micah. It has reached to the gate of my people, even to Jerusalem. In a famous verse, Micah 6, 8, if you take a peek with me, God told his people what he expected of them. He said, he has told you, O man, Micah 6, 8, what is good and what does the Lord require of you? It's to do justice, it's to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. He's told everyone in the nation, everyone who reads this verse, what's good, what does the Lord require of you? He wants us to be like him. He wants us to be more like Jesus in the new covenant sense. He wants us to be people of justice. He wants us to love kindness. And he wants us to walk in humility. That's what God had for the people. But what happened to the people is much the opposite. Let me give you some quick highlights of what was going on in the nation. Micah 2, 1 and 2 will give us the first taste. Micah 2, 1 and 2 says, Woe to those who scheme iniquity, who work out evil on their beds when morning comes. They do it. 
for it is in the power of their hands. They covet fields, Micah 2.2, and then seize them in houses and take them away. Hello, I'm Bert, a.k.a. Brother Bert from Corona, California, and you're listening to Walk in Truth. You can now listen to Walk in Truth with Michael Lance wherever you go and whenever you want. That's because Walk in Truth can now be heard on your favorite podcast app. Apps like iPodcast, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Google Play, and much more. Simply open up your favorite podcast app and search Walk in Truth. Make sure you subscribe so you'll know when a new show is available. Thanks for listening and partnering with Walk in Truth. Hey, Shane Lance here, and I wanted to take a quick moment and encourage you to subscribe to our devotional called A Step Closer. This is a quick read from Scripture with a little bit of commentary, and it's a great way to keep you growing in your walk with the Lord. In our crazy society right now, with all the things we jam-pack into our schedule, I'll be the first to admit that sometimes it's hard to find time to study God's Word. But it is so important as we grow in our relationship with the Lord to study His Word. It's such a vital aspect to our walk. You can text Step Closer as one word to 33222. Again, that's Step Closer as one word to 33222. We really believe here at Walk in Truth that this can be a great instrument in helping you grow in your relationship with the Lord. So once again, we'd encourage you to subscribe to our devotional called A Step Closer, and you can text Step Closer as one word to 33222. Now back to Pastor Michael Lance, right here on Walk in Truth. If you want a good definition of unchanging love, unchanging love is uh, equivalent to what we celebrate in 1 Corinthians 13 with agape love. It's the love that doesn't say, I'll love you if you do this for me. I'll love you if you do these 10 things. Scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. It's unconditional love. It's the love of God. But it's also the love that's possible to come from us if we are yielded, yielded to the spirit of the living God. And Micah wants to end the book on a positive note by saying, look, even though God is going to deal harshly with the nation, he does love you and he delights in unchanging love. He would warn of uh, what God was going to do, mostly because the nation fell into idolatry, which is one way to say spiritual adultery. It has come to Judah, says Micah. It has reached to the gate of my people, even to Jerusalem. In a famous verse, Micah 6, 8, if you take a peek with me, God told his people what he expected of them. He said, he has told you, O man, Micah 6, 8, what is good and what does the Lord require of you? It's to do justice, it's to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. He's told everyone in the nation, everyone who reads this verse, what's good, what does the Lord require of you? He wants us to be like him. He wants us to be more like Jesus in the new covenant sense. He wants us to be people of justice. He wants us to love kindness, and he wants us to walk in humility. That's what God had for the people, but what happened to the people is much the opposite. Let me give you some quick highlights of what was going on in the nation. Micah 2, 1 and 2 will give us the first taste. Micah 2, 1 and 2 says, Woe to those who scheme iniquity, who work out evil on their beds when morning comes, they do it, for it is in the power of their hands. They covet fields, Micah 2.2, and then seize them in houses and take them away. They rob a man and his house, a man and his inheritance. Skip over to Micah 3, look at verse 2. 
You hate good and love evil, who tear off the skin from them and their flesh from their bones. Micah 3.11. Her leaders pronounce judgment for a bribe. Her priests instruct for a price and her prophets divine for money. Notice the consumerism that's reached all the way to the top. Yet they lean on the Lord saying, is not the Lord in our midst? Calamity will not come upon us. So we're not gonna believe that prophet, that naysayer. And Jesus quoting Isaiah in the New Testament said, these people draw near to me with their lips. They go to the temple. They say the right things. They wear the right clothes. They do the right fast. They draw near to me with their lips. They say the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. But their hearts are what? They're far from me. And we all have to battle that in terms of our walk with the Lord. In Micah 6, another highlight of the corruption of the day, 11 It says, can I justify the wicked scales and a bag of deceptive weights? There was deception in the land. For the rich men of the city, 612, are full of violence. Violence in the land. Her residents speak lies and their tongue is deceitful in their mouth. And finally, in the bad news category, Micah 7, 2 and 3, talking about the grip of consumerism. The faithful man, Micah 7, 2, has perished from the earth. There is no one upright among men. They all lie in wait for blood. Every man hunts his brother with a net that they may successfully do evil with both hands. The prince asks for gifts. The judge seeks a bribe. And the great man utters his evil desire. And so they scheme together. You get a little taste from some of the verses that I shared that Micah's days of prophesying were dark days. They were days when you looked around for a noble character in political office or in religious uh, bastions where people were supposed to represent these things and they were found wanting. But the amazing thing about the Bible is that some of the most incredible prophecies, the most illuminating, light-filled prophecies are set in the backdrop or against the backdrop of dark days. Both Isaiah and Micah do this. They, they give a lot of bad news. They warn of impending judgment and discipline of God. But then they talk about a coming deliverer. In the midst of the darkness, in the midst of the sin, in the midst of the rebellion, there's hope on the horizon. And this hope was written about 700 years before Jesus was born. Just to give you an idea, we're in the year 2019. Imagine someone gave a detailed prophecy in the 1300s that we could track, let's say, 30 specific prophecies that someone spoke in the 1300s that came to fulfillment today in exact detail. Would that get your attention? It would mine. And this is what the Bible does. The Bible separates itself from other so-called holy books in many respects, but one is predictive prophecy. Predictive prophecy normally has to do with the coming of the Messiah, but it also can do with the nation of Israel, the church. Um, But namely here, we talk about the coming of the Messiah. And, And there are scores of prophecies. Somebody's chronicled at least 48 messianic prophecies that you can take to the bank. And if you've ever seen the math on how one person could fulfill these all, it's really an impossibility uh, 700 years before he was born, for example, it would say, it says in uh, Isaiah, which we'll study in, in a future message, he'll be born of a virgin. It talks about how he will rule. And in the case of Micah, it gives his actual birthplace of Bethlehem Ephrathah. 
Now, Jesus could not control his birthplace. And the only reason that Joseph and Mary ended up in Bethlehem was because of a census and taxation. God even used the, uh, the king's desire for control and, and power and money to move Jesus' family to the prophesied birthplace. And we're going to look at that prophecy. That's the number two prophecy we'll look at in terms of the book of Micah. Predictive prophecy shows us that the Bible is divine rather than human in origin. I want to read the section of Micah 5, 1 through 5, so you can get a flavor for it. And then we'll look at two specific verses for this morning. It says, Micah 5, 1, Now muster yourselves in troops, daughter of troops. They have laid siege against us. With a rod they smite the judge of Israel on the cheek. But as for you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, most of us know this prophecy, too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you, one will go, for, go forth for me to be ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. Therefore, he will give them up until the time when she who is in labor has born a child. Then the remainder of his brethren will return to the sons of Israel. And he will arise and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they will remain because at that time he will be great to the ends of the earth. In the first part of verse 5, this one will be our shalom. This one will be our peace. Now I'm going to come back to Micah 5.2 in a second. But I want to show you another prophecy that you may not have seen before that's very intriguing. And it's found in Micah 4.8. Notice it starts the same way that Micah 5.2 did. It says, as for you, tower of the flock, hill of the daughter of Zion, Micah 4.8. To you it will come, even the former dominion will come, the kingdom of the daughter of Jerusalem. Now, if you've ever studied this before, scholars call this in Hebrew, migdal eder. It's the tower of the flock, a tower watching over a flock of sheep. I have a few photos for you to get a flavor for this. So this is an example of an agricultural tower that was probably used for two purposes. It was used, one, on the edge of town, maybe up on a hill, to see invading armies coming in. You always tried to take the high ground. And you would warn, like on the watchtower, you would warn your people if you saw any threats looming on the horizon. Scholars say because this is called the Tower of the Flock and because of what we know from some history and writings outside the Bible, this kind of structure was also used by shepherds. And what the shepherds would do is they would be able to watch their sheep from the tower that was elevated and look for predators like wolves coming towards the flock. They would just be able to see the condition of their flocks and herds, if you will, from an elevated spot. Some things that I've read related to this say that the shepherds would take, if we go to the next slide, they would take one of their little lambs, and they would inspect them in the lower chamber. This is a uh, kind of a modern model of what we're talking about. You're listening to Walk in Truth. This was part one of Pastor Michael's Advent teaching in Micah chapter five called Hope Foreshadowed. Here's a question for you. Are you a reader? Are you reading content that's edifying your daily walk as a believer? Subscribe for free today to get the Walk in Truth devotional. Read a verse from the Bible, followed by a thought for the day related to it. You can get the devotional by email or by text. Visit walkintruth.com or text Step Closer as one word to 33222. Again, text Step Closer 
as one word, to 33222. Now, here's Pastor Michael. Well, we've paused from the book of 1 Corinthians to do some special messages this Advent season. And two specifically, we're going to look at two prophecies, one from Micah and one from Isaiah. They were contemporaries of one another and wrote about 700 years before Jesus was born and gave specific, incredible detail about this coming Savior, the Messiah. You know, predictive prophecy is one of the things that sets apart the Bible from all other so-called holy books. God writes history in advance through his prophets, and he did that through Micah specifically, as Micah would predict the birthplace of the Messiah 700 years before it happened. Imagine that. That, that's incredible. That shows you the Bible is divine. Not only did he pick the birthplace, but we're going to look at an intriguing prophecy about a tower, a tower of the flock. And we'll get into that as we look at this prophecy in Micah chapter four and five. Hey, if you're someone who's kind of listening in and wondering about the Christian faith, this is one thing to strongly consider the prophecies, the predictive prophecies of the Bible. They are a strong case for the veracity and truthfulness of Scripture, that it was ordained and God-breathed, breathed out by the Holy Spirit through human vessels, namely 40 different authors, Old and New Testament. And we're going to look at an exciting prophecy in, in Micah. I'm glad you're along on Walking Truth. God bless you. Tune in tomorrow to hear part two of Pastor Michael's special Christmas message he recently preached, Hope Foreshadowed. I'm Mike Massaro. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people.